Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the Leeds Up Podcast. I'm James and I'm with Rocco. Hello. Rocco is, well, you're still on your travels. You, you yeah. travel more than bloody Michael Palin you do. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, funnily enough, yeah, I, I go home tomorrow and then I'm away with work again on Thursday for the weekend. So I'll miss will, the Millwall game as well. Will you wear your top when you go to with work? Because Rocco is actually topless now. Yeah, I'm, it's so hot. I'm in like a... Yeah, a, an attic apartment that has no aircon, and it's probably about twenty-five degrees still outside. God knows what it is in here. But yes, sweltering is the word. I'm just praying my wife doesn't walk in the door, and she's like, <laughs> "Why? Why are you on? Why are you on a webcam with a blower no top on?" Uh, well, I oh, don't, to- don't, don't, <laughs> don't worry, that's just Rocco. Oh, the bloke you talk to every week. Well, yeah. I've got no answers. I've, I've angled the screen so you can only see my shoulders. Trying to be kind to you. Yeah, but that also leaves a lot for imagination, Rocco. <laughs> oh let's, so, let's steer this away from me and onto... Let's put some heat on somebody else. Who should we put the heat on tonight? I feel overdressed. Anyway, yes. So, the square ball. We talked about this for a few weeks. That this interview was... To, well, it was going to come out. It was always going to come out. The interview, Angus Kinnear, every... Every year they have done for the last few seasons and they're always a really good interview, give you a bit of insight into what's going on at, on at the club. And this one was obviously going to be key given the the awful season we had last year and, you know, all the drama that went on with her and Radrazani ultimately selling the club as well. So, yeah, it was it was going to be key. And basically I'm just handing over to Rocco to have a rant for the, for the next half an hour. How does that sound? <laughs> Sounds good to me. Anyway, I've been looking forward to getting it off my chest. I mean, it was quite funny because while I was listening to it, I sort of had a fair bit of sympathy for him. And, you know, he, he does, he's a smooth talker. So yeah, you, you sort of, you can sort of buy a lot of what he's trying to sell. But as it went on, of course, I was, I was making notes and 
like by the end, you know, I didn't think he'd come across too badly <laughs> until I started scrolling back through all my notes and there's like absolute ton of them, you know, loads of, of inconsistencies, loads of bullshit that I don't buy about Bielsa. And, and then, you know, since this came out, obviously Rad Rizani had his tweets the other night, maybe last night, was it? You know, basically calling, calling Kinnear out, you know, making him sound like a, a complete liar, even while making himself look a fool as well. You know, Rad's saying that he had no idea what was in the contracts. I mean, that's just bonkers as well. I mean, what, what are you supposed to believe? You know, that the, the owner has no idea about these contracts or, you know, the crap that Kinnear was spouting. It's almost always unbelievable. Well, in fact, Kinnear's story probably makes more sense, to be fair. Yeah, that, that confused me, really. What did you think about, about that, about Rad's coming out? Well, we'll come on to that because I have got some quite clear thoughts on it. But I think it was it's interesting insight. I think more than anything, it shows you the, the dynamic of Victor Otto, Andrea Rapazzani and, and Angus Kinnear. I just thought mainly like we felt probably at the time as well, that their whole self was probably far too inferior to be in the, in the Premier League. And it was, it was just like the Wild West, really, like how they're handling things. And you can kind of see now that the 49ers are in the door and you're starting to see a sporting administration try and apply some sort of, but it never felt like it scaled appropriately. And I think there was a lot of things that came out in that that kind of shone, shone a light on that. And, you know, Kinnear defended Radrazani saying that he took huge risks, but obviously lacks that wealth to compete in the Premier League. Do you think, because that's obviously one of the things that I think probably Radrazani ended up spitting his dummy out on Twitter about what, what were your thoughts on that side of it? Yeah. I mean, you can sort of see where he might be coming from with it, but then... At the same there was time, hint, there, was, was, there was hints as well. Sorry, Rocco, that, that the ownership transition to the 49ers could have been the difference and probably happened sooner as well. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But then there's the FFP stuff that comes into it. You know, we always seem on the, on the brink with that. And Radrizani did spend heavily, you know, spent, you know, a hundred million in the first window, uh, the first summer uh, of the, pre- before the Premier League and then 50 million in the following summer. You know, we were one of the biggest net spenders in the whole wide world. So, you know, I don't know, don't really buy that. And then even in January, you know, we spent, you know, 35 million on Rutter, com- you know, and committed to 30 million on, on Western McKenney if we were to stay up. So, yeah, I mean, I've always had a bit of a problem with people that say that, you know, we didn't invest and it lacked, it lacked investment because I, I think, I think we did really. I just think we completely messed it up. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just one of, one of many inconsistencies with, with what Kinnear was saying pretty much all the way through. I mean, I, I think like the only positive things I can say is that, you know, moving forward with the 49ers, it made it. It made it sound like they are really, I, I think he said the, the mantra this season is football first, you know, which I like. And, and, and that has seemed to be the case in, in the actions that they've done. But I'd have really loved them to ask him more questions about what the 49ers involvement was last season. I think Kinnear very briefly touched on, touched on it. I think he said that they had visibility, but you know, it was a, it was a major stakeholder that was making the decisions, but. You know, that was literally it. There was no follow-up questions. You know, I'd love to know, you know, what Parag, in, what Parag's involvement was with the contracts and if, 
in it if if Radzi said he had no idea about them you'd sort of think that surely it was Parag and Angus coming up with this stuff and the fact that Angus is still defending the contracts makes you think that as well and the fact that the 49ers have kept Angus on makes you think that they were involved and they knew what they were doing and, and it was part of their plan and, and I, I, I think it was but I don't know whether one of the stipulations was that he wasn't asked about the 49ers I don't know because it seems a funny thing not to not to quiz him on also JKA he never got any heat on that whatsoever which I think is the most diabolical of all the mistakes I think it was shambolic what happened there and he should have been asked yeah who was in fact who was advising the club how did we come to these decisions to try and wriggle out of something that we couldn't wriggle out of and it's cost the club tens of millions of pounds for absolutely nothing so yeah disappointed they didn't mention that but they did a great job otherwise you know and and, and the thing about it was you know even if they weren't pushing Angus like you know a fan in the street might or in the pub which you know we can't expect them to do they've got to be professional as well it still stoked these questions and you know these shortcomings as well you know it's it's brought it all to the fore which can only be a good thing but yeah it, it just left me feeling you know I, I just I just wish he'd have been sacked you know he he doesn't deserve to be at the club he was part of that trio of people that brought us to our knees and he's still defending them and you know if you're not against them too then you're with them and they they all did it together and, and he's still at the club and I really don't like that there's um, in psychology there's it's, it's sort of widely studied that if you sort of say sorry and uh, and apologize for things that it kind of disarms everything. And I think I got a lot of that from that interview where, you know, things were being amped up and they were interviewed him really well, like asking questions that were like, not even tricky. They were the, they were the right questions to ask and straight away, he'd kind of like talk around it, matter of fact, and just say, say sorry. And, and it is disarming. It's like straight away, you're like, Okay, well, I'm not as angry as I was <laughs> was a minute ago now. But then afterwards, when you sort of process it, you're like, "Well, no, I am, I am still quite cross about all this because, <laughs> you know, you can you can look back and you can sort of say, "Yeah, okay, he's, he's apologised, and that's all right." But I think the frustrating thing is that so many things were sort of blindingly obvious as they were happening, and that makes me worried that those things or or, or bad decisions are still going to happen within within there because there's been a lot of repeat stuff and I, I think that, that was kind of one of the key things that I, I felt coming away from it and there's a few things that, that stand out and I'm just reading through all your your notes here it's like well it's it's massive it's like well, this this interview's this interview the interview this uh, podcast is going to be longer than the interview itself I know that's the thing if it, yeah if, if they'd have touched on everything then it would have probably taken 500 minutes rather than 100 yeah. but yeah no one thing I yeah I, I definitely agree with that you know he, he took responsibility for you know for the fact that they were that they got relegated but that's such a broad thing you know it, it's almost meaningless you know because you know it's just obvious you can't get away from it he's running the club and we got relegated but taking responsibility for relegation is very different to take a responsibility for JKA or the contract situation. And like you say, you know, that, that was the main thing, actually. The, the key thing that came out of it for me is his naivety. And he even admitted it himself. He said, maybe we were naive to think that these players would want to stay. My God, how naive can you get? What is he, what is going through his head? They're signing these players that are insisting upon loan release clauses if they're so bad that they can't if the Leeds can't even recoup their money for them in the event of relegation 
and they're going to get like a 50% pay cut and he's expecting like certain players to stay. I mean, that is absolutely bonkers. You know, he, he is a naive guy. You know, he, he talks about lessons that they've learned, but like we knew it all along, like the fans, the fans knew like this is, there's a list too long to even go through, but the things they were naive about, we knew, we knew better. So that's just crazy. And the thing that worries me the most probably is still this loan situation. You know, I know I'm delighted that we've got them off, off the books or out, not off, off the books, but out of the club this season. You know, the playing squad is, is good. I'm happy with it. But next summer they all come back and, you know, Angus is saying, ah, oh, you know, the loan situation isn't, isn't particularly good for the players, bad for Leeds. Like next summer, you know, we've just kicked the can down the, down the road. You know, we're gambling again, really, that, that we're going to be able to sell these players. You know, I think we're just going to be in the same predicament next summer. Pretty Well, not the same, but we've got a problem in trying to get offload all these players again. Some of them will get moves, probably, but a lot of them, it, it's just an, it's an, it's an extra hassle on the club, a pressure on the club. Um, and, and a big pressure as well, because I mean, even if they've got a big pay cuts in there, that's a lot of money going back on the wage bill at the end of the season. Uh, we won't be in a position of strength unless these players do well and they're not going to do well. You know, a couple of them might, but you know, they're bad players and that's why they fail so horrifically at Leeds. And there's no reason to think they, they're going to do any better. Similar with, with Sinistera, even, you know, that he said they turned down 20 odd million because they think that he could be worth a lot, lot more. But then at the same time, he's thrown him under the bus, basically like making it really difficult for him ever to come back. And, you know, then what? Like next summer, like what if he gets injured? Like he's injured all the time. Like what if he has half the season on, on, the, on the sidelines? Like he's probably expected really. Like it'd be a surprise if Sinistera goes the season without an injury or injury problems. So... Yeah, I feel like they should have cut their losses there. They could have put a sell-on clause in to, to get some extra money. If they think he's going to explode, he might explode, but it's a risk. You know, I just think we should be taking the money where we can, but, you know, that's, that's just my opinion on, on that one. Kinnear and Sinister in the canteen, that'd be awkward, wouldn't it? I know. And the, well, you know, and he said about, like, being professional and, you know, he has to stand by his players. And, you know, we're talking about Furpa. So I was really surprised the way he spoke about Sinisteri. You know, I thought him going out on loan was a way of, you know, if we go back up, then the door would be open for him to come back to the club next summer um, in the Premier League. But yeah, clearly not. It's a funny one. And Adams as well. Adams, yeah, he took it in the neck, didn't he? Yeah, he did. It's probably worth touching on that ever so slightly. We heard from someone quite close to Adams who basically said that he didn't want to leave the club. Now, I don't know how true that even is, to be honest, because it was pretty obvious he was going to Chelsea <laughs> and then that fell through. So then was it after that point that he then decided that he might want to stay at Leeds? And yeah, there was talk of him trying to get a new contract signed, which I think was the, because I don't know if he dropped down on a different wage or whatever, but then the club would then offer them like a, they'd basically like redeal. It's kind of how I've interpreted it. And I don't know if it's right. But that was taking some time to get through the door. And for whatever reason, then things sort of blew up between Adams and Kinnear is what we heard. And I think that's probably what was Angus Kinnear was alluding to in the interview was that the way in which he left, because I think it, it did end pretty on pretty sour terms. So yeah, it'd be interesting to hear Adam's side of the story answer the stairs at some point, because I don't think 
things are always as they seem as well. You know, they're more complicated behind the scenes and that's not me sticking up for one or the other. It's just that you can't, you can't really judge one without the other. And I think that goes the same for Radrizani and, you know, the comments that he made on Twitter, which like you mentioned earlier, were just so stupid. Like they're, they're naive in that, you know, he'd obviously sort of spat his dummy out a bit of the things that he'd said, but because, because Kinnear, Kinnear had obviously said that about the relegation clauses and them being in there and, you know, and that was kind of a, a strategy of the club. And then Radrizani on Twitter, if no one saw it, because he's since deleted his account, kind of said that, well, you know, I, I pay Angus Kinnear millions of pounds to look after this stuff. You know, I don't know anything about the relegations, but I'm sorry, but, and there's a few people sort of jumped to his defense that I could see and on Twitter, if you're, if you're, if you own and run a football club and you spend 30, 40 million pound on a player, you know, including salaries and stuff, you will, you will want to know what the strategy is with signing that player. And you will tell your team what the strategy is to go and deliver it. And Angus Kinnear, the rest of the team, I imagine would have said, or like he alluded to in the interview, you know, pressure on the club if we went down or the owner, if we still had those salaries on the books means that we had to reduce them and therefore the relegation cause. So it's just like, mm, really? <laughs> like it's, so yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, that, that whole saga did not work for me at all. Nah, nah, it can't, it can't possibly be true, can it? Like he, yeah, Radrizani must, must have to know what situation he's going to be in if they get relegated. Although he did think it was impossible. So, you know, maybe yeah. he really wasn't that bothered. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com but yeah, I mean, that was the other thing as well, that, that there was a couple of things that Kinnaird like just said, and it sort of just got completely washed over. Like he, he mentioned a profit and sustainability reset if we don't go up this season, which is worrying in it. Like, I, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love him to expand on that because, you know, at the same time, he's talking about promotion in two seasons. Although a lot of what he said, again, again, it, it seemed a bit naive and arrogant. I, I feel like. I think everyone at least thinks they're going up and whether that's good or they're so confident, I don't know. But, you know, he did a couple of times mention like two years, we need to go up in two years. But yeah, this, you know, PNS reset, if we don't go up at the end of the season, like what does that entail? And then you've got the nine loanees potentially coming back as well on top of, you know, potential issues and, and this reset. Yeah, that, that was, that was something that I'd, I'd love to know more about. And then also, this, I don't know if, I don't know if this was a slip of the tongue, but when he mentioned Lorente being on six million a year, which is 120 grand a, a week, a contract we signed in December when we were, you know, worried about relegation and thinking about changing managers can't be true, can it? Surely that would be even worse than JKA, I think. 
I mean, Lorente never convinced anyone, did he? And I don't know if he's convincing anyone at Roma at the minute and to spend all that money. Yeah, crazy. Uh, I do think they, like you said before, and Brad Rosani obviously said it would be impossible for us to go down, which I think might have been uh, sort of a miss or on his part, maybe what and say, but he still said it and it, it did happen. So here's some news for you, Andrea. Bloody hell. The, uh, to me now, maybe the six million a year referred to the, uh, to the transfer fee and not his wages. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I think one of the things that I plucked out that sort of annoyed me was, you know, him talking about, he, he, again, the sort of naivety of, well, on the naivety point, actually, it does kind of make me worry a bit when you think the football clubs that he's worked at before, like he worked at Arsenal through like a key period and with Arsene Wenger there as well. How, how have you come into this environment and, and how can things be so naive if you've had all that experience of working at a massive club in a key growth period? But I do think it does come down to, and, pro- and possibly how the 49ers have, have looked at this as well, that it comes down to the structure of the club around him. Like at Arsenal, there's a proper club with loads of members of staff to support the whole process, whereas he's managing a guy who throws his phone at the wall and another and another guy who spends drunken nights drinking wine on Twitter. So <laughs> it's not exactly kind of the emotional balance required to run a football club. Yeah, no, nah, I, do, I do agree with that. That, that is one, one thing that's uh, yeah worthy point to make. I mean, the other thing as well, I, I'd have loved to hear him try and answer is the, you know, the, like the changing of the approach of the club, you know, they, he, he previously spoke about the competitive advantage being you know, investing in young players and, you know, obviously selling them on a, on a, on a, at a, at a, at a large profit, but also, you know, to get them in the team. And, and that's how we were going to, how we were going to build, you know, that's what he was saying in the program notes of the Newcastle game, I think in the January before Bielsa was sacked. Yeah. So the window is just, oh yeah, maybe it was the next game because the window had shut and we're not signed. And he was saying that, you know, the, the targets that we could have had wouldn't have been a, a marked improvement on the youngsters and we don't want to block the pathway, you know, that, and then he goes on to explain about the, you know, the competitive advantage being, you know, buying these young players and, and, and developing them ourselves. And, and that's how we we're going to build up to, to get into Europe and have an academy that from was, you know, like going to be the, yeah, the cream of Europe coming to our academy. I mean, it's just not happened whatsoever. No one ever mentions it. You know, all these players that we've bought of, you know, all these youngsters, there's been about 50 of them and Strike and Melier have done well. And some people might even disagree with that. But then, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, all the dozens of others that have done absolutely nothing. So yeah, it annoys me when people say that Otter's got an eye for a player because I just don't think he does. But then, yeah, the, this strategy sun, suddenly at some point just com- went completely out of the window. And I think that contributed as well. I mean, it was a bad plan, really, because it was badly executed. But yeah, that just went out of the window. No one says anything. I mean, for me, the competitive advantage that Leeds have is the fans. Like, that's it, you know. And on one hand, Kinnear is talking about us being a newly promoted team and putting us in the same bracket as Brentford and Brighton in their early days in the Premier League. And then a few minutes later, he's going on about how we sell shirts abroad to rival the numbers of Spurs and Arsenal. You know, so which is it? <laughs> and, you know, the, the clear, obvious thing is that Leeds is a massive fan base. You know, again, he's, he mentioned about how we could sell out 60,000 at Ellen Road. 
well, why don't we just build a stadium then? Like that's the way to build the club is to build a stadium and, and gives us a, a much higher ceiling on the FFP side of things. You know, it just feels like they're too bothered about, you know, building it with all the bells and whistles and, you know, corporate facilities and making it an incredible stand for 200 million or whatever. Like, you know, could just, just, just make it bigger. Like just put a, just, just put a lump of concrete on top of the West stands and, and it's going to help the club. And then you could maybe even, you know, refurbish it or de- like develop around it, make it better as the years go on. I just feel like we've missed a massive opportunity with this Premier League money coming in to actually, build the club you know we've done nothing nothing to Thorpe Arch really and uh, and nothing at all to Allen Road anyone new to podcast we've got a new sponsorship deal actually it's uh, Rocco's Architecture just put a lump of concrete <laughs> on it is, is, is his motto I know there's elements that I, I definitely agree with and, and on Thorpe Arch uh, I just I, in my, <laughs> went back in my mind to if you haven't listened to podcasts recently I did end up going to Thorpe Arch training ground I ended up playing Willie Nonto, which was unbelievable. He's a, and he was a great lad at the time. And I came away. I was, I was so distraught with everything that went on as well, because I just thought when you meet him, he's, he's a top guy. And, but one of the things that thought Arch is because, because everyone always sells in the, the quality of the academy and the quality of the facilities and the pitches are amazing. Like they've got the same pitch they have at Ellen Road at the training ground. So quality wise, it's, it's, it's class, but the, the training facilities themselves, they're pretty poor. Like. We got there and there's like a, a van just on bricks. And you just think, you know, like any prospective player like that's turning up to me. She's just like, what, what is this? You know, there's like, there's literally a Leeds United. So it's sat on like concrete blocks. And, and then you, you know, you, you, you sort of see on the videos on that the club put out and the gym looks tiny as well. And like really old and knackered. And there's t- I think there's tiles on the roof that are like <laughs> broken and stuff bit like the cop actually maybe the gym is in the cop and yeah and i just think like there is so much things there's so many things there that could be polished and be really good for like prospective players coming through but also for the 49ers to make the most out of the club and and it's that headroom for expanding to the next level isn't it and you can see why they they wanted the club as well because there's obviously the the numbers behind it and that Leeds is a sleeping giant but then you look at the facilities themselves and they just need bringing up to speed and just segueing into the other point you made on on Brighton and, and the comparisons there, and he obviously semi joked about the whole Leicester model and following that, and the Leicester model not working out, and because look where they are now as well, and and then talk about the Brighton model, and I think that's something that's a bit of a bugbear for me, and I don't know whether it's because they've just had a frantic preseason because we've obviously gone down and they've had all these contract issues and players leaving, etc. But what I think I'd really like to not necessarily see, because I don't know if they'd broadcast it, but but kind of, well, yeah, see it in the flesh happening is a proper strategy around the club. And that's what we've said that we've missed for some time is, you know, a clear vision of, of what is going to happen or what they want to happen over the next five years. And because, yeah, I think I think that's that's the key thing that will help us grow and it'll help everyone align with the club. And it be our own strategy, not following what some of the teams done you know we're Leeds United why, why shouldn't we have our own vision of, of our future yeah no, no I definitely do agree but yeah you know that is that is my opinion is that you know like the 49ers have said I'm sure they've said Parag said in the interview you know they've got they've got 200 million waiting to do the ground and yeah when we go up and we're established we'll do it 
I don't understand why they don't just do it now. Like I really don't. If if that money's there, you know, that doesn't count towards the the the, F, the profit and sustainability thing. Yeah, just do it, and and then Leeds United will be much, much, much healthier. You know, if 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 we were owned by the fans and the fans had two hundred million in the bank account, I'm I'm pretty sure that's what we'd do because we wouldn't be able to spend the money. As Kinnear even said himself, it's hard to spend the money in the Championship because there's you know fifteen million pound targets end up going to the Premier League, and also the FFP situation's uh, so difficult. You know, they cracked down on that with the parachute payments, so. Yeah, the obvious thing to do with the money is to make this, the, the stadium, you know, Premier League worthy again, because it isn't now. Um, and, you know, 20 years ago when we we're in the championship, Ellen Road was amazing and Thorpe Parch was amazing as you know, every single player that we signed used to go on about. But it's definitely not now. And yeah, that, that's the thing, you know, Brighton and, and Brentford might have these algorithms that come up with great players. I mean, it seems to be the case. Um, but, they could never build a 60,000 seat stadium and fill it and, and we can. So I'd love to see us just do that, but maybe it's, maybe it's a complete pipe dream. Reading your notes here, Rocco, recruitment for Bielsa equals crap. I mean, that, that's unequivocal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote that down when he started listing all the good players that ought to sign for, for Bielsa and it was, yeah, nonsense. Like some of them are players that Bielsa made use of. But there were bad signings before he came. And then, yeah, you know, there's two or three others that were, that were decent, I suppose. But the vast majority obviously were, were bad. And I suppose that brings me on to what I think is probably my final bugbear with the whole interview. And it's this notion that has been peddled before. And actually, I don't know if it was a slip of the tongue or just a changing of his story because he's lying. But he said that Bielsa said at the end of the first Premier League season that his methods only worked for two years. Well, last year in his interview with the Square Ball, he told them that he said that they worked for three years. So make of that what you will. But yeah, so he says that Bielsa demanded a whole new squad of 40 to 50 million pound players. And it's absolute nonsense. It's complete and utter rubbish. Like they'd just finished ninth. Go through the team. Who's, who does Bielsa want to get rid of? Melier? No, of course not. Alioski actually did leave. Bielsa said he wanted him to stay. Does Bielsa want to get rid of Cooper? Obviously not. He loves him. He's his captain. Clock and Lorente were new signings. That they'd both done well, actually, when they'd played. They'd both had injury-ravaged seasons, but they'd both done well. Phillips, obviously, do not want to get rid of. Click, I mean, if he wants to keep Alioski, why would he want to get rid of Click? Uh, Dallas had just won the player of the year. And you got Harrison, you got Rafinha, Bamford's just like on the verge of the England squad, scored 17 goals. What is this whole new squad that he's demanding? It's absolute nonsense. All he wanted was some proper quality players. He probably wanted two or three players worth 30 million plus because that's what he said in his interview in the, in the January. You know, it would cost 30 odd million to improve on, on the players that are in our team. Well, they never signed anyone for that money and they still haven't. And they got relegated after signing a dozen for under 30 million. Obviously, Bielsa was right. Uh, yeah, this peddling this bullshit, like, it just winds me up somewhat rotten because he knows that Bielsa's never going to pick him up on it. But it's a lie. Like, there's no chance that it's true. And it doesn't even fit with Bielsa's philosophy. Like, he wouldn't want to buy a whole new team. Bielsa, uh, especially of like 40 to 50 million pound players, like, Bielsa's all about developing talent and, you know, nurturing talent. And he loved these players. Like, nah, I'm absolutely not having that. It really winds me up. It, it, yeah, it, it just 
infuriates me because he's bad mouthing him. And, and he also, you know, he goes on about how it's such a difficult job to replace Bielsa. You know, you've seen it with Wenger and Alex Ferguson, what a difficult job it is. Well, yeah, then two minutes later, he's talking about how we're going down and like everything was broken at the club. And, you know, so why is it so, so difficult to replace a manager who's failing so badly that we're about to get relegated? So, you know, that doesn't make sense either. So yeah, he just, when he, when he talks about Bielsa, then that, that really uh, grinds my gears. It gets personal then. <laughs> it's, like, it's like someone talking about your grandfather, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's quite interesting that, you know, in the Bielsa era, he, he signed the players that he wanted to sign. And that was obviously seen as a risk of what, of what Angus Kinnear was saying. And they shifted away into the Jesse Marsh and some of that control out of, out of the managerial decision-making process and it very much became like well we've got these players what do you think and be like well yeah they'll they'll do and just sort of went along with it and I think Angus Kinnear talks about the risk of it shifting all onto one person like it did with Bielsa but then they're doing that again with Farker now who's got control over it so I don't know maybe you probably should have given Bielsa some some autonomy or let him keep that autonomy I doubt he's I know he's a stickler for things to be perfect. You know that through various interviews about the plug being moved a few millimeters in the training ground, but I can't, I can't imagine him being a horrendous person to work with. And, you know, he, he held people to standards that he expected. And maybe they just weren't at that standard. Yeah. He held himself to those standards as well. You know, there's countless interviews, you know, post-match and in his pre-match press conferences where he said that, you know, he was failing, like he wasn't doing well enough, you know, when we, when we were struggling in that second season, you know, he, he said, I'm not doing my job well enough. I'm not giving the club value for money, which again, alludes to the fact that he did believe in the squad that he had. And, you know, if he really did say to them, it's like, replace me or replace the whole squad. And then they said, no, I'm not replacing the whole squad. Then Bielsa obviously thought he wasn't the, the right man for the job. He would have worked. So there's no way to sign a new contract. He signed a new contract. Why would he do that? He wouldn't do that if he didn't think that he was going to prevail. Uh, and right up until the end, like the, the, the pre-match press conference with Spurs, he said, the only person that believes blindly in myself is me. So he actually believed in himself. He still believed in himself to turn it around. He still believed in himself. Yeah, that he, to get a tune out of the players. Obviously, he knew that his best players were going to be coming back. So, yeah, compl- just it just makes no sense. It's not it, it's not feasible that, that that happened. That Bielsa said replace me or replace the squad. It's just just yeah, just nonsense. Is it else for us to dig into out of this interview? I think that's enough in it. I'm sweating. I'm sweating out of. Uh, I'm just saying. I keep seeing your, your brow. Your brow keeps going. <laughs> Like we, I don't know whether it's the room or just how angry you are. I think it's everything. I think I think that being said on all those things, you know, him having like we said, like I touched on before, him having the structure, him now is positive, and I think Kinnear will do better as a, a result of it. But it's still a, a big distraction and a lot of history and a lot, and it takes a lot for people to to forgive and forget, unfortunately. And yeah, I think it's. It's one of them where like a few people have said, you know, fair play to him for coming out and talk. It's like, no, absolutely by default, he should have come out and talked to, to everyone, you know, he's the CEO of, of, of our club. You know, it's, I know, I know someone else has paid for it, but we pay emotionally every week supporting this club. So, oh yeah, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just, I am a bit annoyed to be honest. Yeah. yeah. I was even annoyed when he, he started like 
referring to himself and Rajazani as, as uh, custodians of the club, like he said it loads of times. And even that wound me up because it's like clearly a sales pitch, isn't it? It's like part of his strategy to come across as, as though he's working for the fans. And yeah, I'm, I'm not buying it. In the break. Yes. Uh, we've, well, Willie played the other day for Italy. Yeah. Did he come on? I think he was on the bench, wasn't he? He came on and they... He came on quite late, yeah. And they got a one-all draw against North Macedonia. That oh, was Alioski playing. I didn't research this. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just completely obsessed with Uruguay now. I didn't even, I didn't even know England were playing until I saw the drawn one-all. Well, I saw um, Kamara played today. He got 90 minutes, didn't he? I think they lost that bodes well. And yeah, that was kind of the main reason why I wanted to talk about Ibrey, um, because you mentioned Bielsa about 100 times in this. I'll be all the times we've said it during the uh, t- transcript, actually. But yeah, Uruguay, uh, Chile, and uh, they won 3 1. Did you stay up late for that, Rocco? I did. It was an absolute nightmare. But uh, I mean, the match <laughs> was incredible. But yeah, so like it, I spent 40 minutes trying to get the game up, uh, finally managed. Like, so I missed like the first 20 minutes of the game. Yeah, it was like it kicked off at one in the morning for me. That first half was just amazing. Like they played so well. They're a really good team and, and there was like top players missing as well. Uh, but yeah, they've got some good players and like how he's got them playing so coherently and just, yeah, just perfect Bielsa balls in literally in like six days. Like the, the squad came together. He only got them on Saturday last week and then they've come out and delivered a performance like that is almost as astonishing as, as what he did in that, that summer of 2018. Yeah, it really did. Although I, I wasn't even at the Stoke game myself, but yeah, it reminded me of that so much, uh, because it was, it was a great performance for then. Yeah. Second half, like it was just buffering all the way through. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was almost unwatchable, but I had to sit through it because I, well, I couldn't have gone to bed because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have slept without knowing the results. So yeah, I'm sat there sweating sweating buckets and like just watching stills of a match between Uruguay and Chile uh, yeah 3-1 win great result it's a good start to the uh, the World Cup winning campaign I would take a stuttery buffering ball versus a high bandwidth marsh ball that <laughs> yeah that's true I loved that video of him uh, if you've seen it on Twitter when they score it's just yeah. a video of him and he yeah he does his uh, will fist down and then does his 13 pace walk. I just, I don't know what it is about it, but like, I just love it so much. Like it makes me emotional. Don't know what it is, but it's just so pure Pielsa, isn't it? Yeah. He's, uh, he's remarkable. And the six, like you say, the six days is incredible. Cause how do you, in any sort of management, in anything, like any sport in game across the world, how do you infuse that in a team in six days? And I think he's just so, he's so good with, with, with coaching, uh, that sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but I'm talking about literal coaching on the field and getting the most out of players. Like you almost want, uh, want him to have his kind of like his own school and his own academy where people kind of learn those methods and, and sort of bring youth players through in, in that manner. And you'll just, the, the whole game will go up a notch. Uh, like, you know, that is the reason why other coaches praise him so much and people like Pep do because they have the, I mean, Pep's a brilliant coach anyway annoyingly but there's so many coaches that do just have money at their disposal to buy the best but he also never sort of ends up in those places and he, it's all about cultivating what you have and uh oh god i feel sad now and uh well i i always like my in my dreams like bielsa would win as the european cup and then 
you know, retire. And, you know, we just like run the club by the Bible of Bielsa, you know, just, you know, whatever Bielsa would do, like the manager has to do that. It could even just have a committee just deciding what would Bielsa do in this position and just, yeah, come, yeah keep going, keep going with Bielsa Paul, because I, I believe in it so much. I, I think Uruguay can win the World Cup. Like, it went badly off the rails at Leeds and it wasn't just the injuries, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it was and I'm not going to start going into it now, but I, I fully believe in it. I, I think it's an amazing way to play football and to, to level the field. Uh, so yeah, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be a great few years. Uh, for us Uruguay fans. So you've di- yeah. I was gonna say you've definitely ditched England now. You're still with the Azuri, the Italians. Uh nah, nah. If I played Uruguay I'd be I'd be supporting Uruguay. Wow. Get it though. I do get it. To be honest. I mean I, I watched England against Ukraine and it was dull as dishwater. It's like you got Jude Bellingham playing in your midfield. He's absolutely bossing it for Real Madrid. Has he scored like five and four games yeah, yeah. from from midfield and I think he's the first ever English player to win a Player of the Month award over there, or some, something ridiculous. And uh, he's like playing him out of position and subbed him off as well. He's like, why? Like, and Henderson's still on, I think, as well. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've always defended Southgate, but yeah, I think I'm past it now. You know, like Foden still being on the bench is such a strange one, and. I don't know. I don't, I, I can see why he keeps picking Maguire because, you know, the same, like I use the same reasons to defend why he would pick Phillips, uh, you know, because he's been part of the team. And I, and I like that he sort of runs it almost like a, you know, more like a club environment. Uh, and, you know, Maguire doesn't deserve to lose his place. Then, then fair enough. Although I'm not sure I agree anyway from, even from his England performances. That was shocking in Italy when, uh, when they, when they beat them. Uh, but I would say that I'm biased. Yeah, no, I don't know. It's just, it's just, just not exciting, is it? Uh, I'm the same. I'm the same as you. I really like Southgate, but it's just you've got some of the best attackers we've ever had in this country. Probably the best, let's be honest. And we just don't seem to be interested in attacking. It's bizarre. Um, yeah. But anyway, here we are. That's probably it. Uh, you need to get back to your holiday, drinking out of your big tumbler of wine. Yeah, no, I'm ready for home now. I, I think the holiday's overripe. <laughs> it's uh, it's got to the stage now where everything's like everything's a hassle. You just want to get home, get back to normal food. I mean, I think I've even had too much wine. Get back to normal, more like beans on toast. All this, <laughs> all this French cuisine rubbish. Dear, cool. Well, um, we are scheduled to to record another episode in the week, and so which will be probably post. England's next game as well and we'll have a, probably have a bit more information from the eye break hopefully we've had no injuries and we've got uh, a nice round bunch of players coming back to a round number or bunch of players whatever I don't know what I'm on about I'm so tired players, players coming back we want some players to come back that don't have like broken legs and stuff so we can use them this season so we can get out of this bloody league let's be honest yeah, yeah thanks thanks for joining us and uh, we'll, we'll see you again in the week
Podcast Network.